The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to see you all. Good to have those of you joining online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is a very interesting chapter of Scripture. Once we leave chapter 11 and move on through chapter 12, what happens is we start kind of going back through um, a lot of what we've learned about, but we get it in a lot more detail. So it gets to, it starts drilling down um, a lot deeper. And so uh, today's um, teaching is, is pretty cool teaching. Um, I'm reminded before we get started of uh, when we started the journey with the letters to the seven churches. And so there in the beginning, the first few chapters of Revelation, there is a letter to the seven churches that is to be for all the church throughout um, all times in church history. And uh, specifically to those churches it was written to of what they were struggling with during that period of time. And there was a lot of uh, evil going on even inside the church. And so there was a lot of stuff that, a lot of sin happening in the church, which teaches us that the church is not immune from sin and it has to be guarded against. Like it can creep in. Um, and so that's the John receiving revelation is how do we deal with outside persecution and suffering that is happening, as well as a lot of the um, things that are going on as the enemy uh, begins to infiltrate even inside the church and bring about um, destructive behavior among people, um, potentially Christians who are being disobedient. And then there also could be people who are pretending to be people of faith who are um, in the church and they're not really people of faith, they're just there. And so we look at that, and we, what, we're, what we learn um, is that all through the book of Revelation is that we are part of a, a cataclysmic cl clash between good and evil, okay? So here's the thing. <laughs> there is a real devil, okay? There is a real evil force. And just to be honest, sometimes... In our humanity, because that is, that is really a part of our faith, right? It can feel a little, it can feel a little, uh, uh, not, it, it can feel not very academic to say there's a devil, right? It just can kind of feel that way. You feel like, oh man, you really believe in the devil? <laughs> and so I think the world is kind of set up to where we, we kind of feel a little foolish talking about the devil. And I say that because I know sometimes even when I teach about it, I, I wonder, are the people, are the people out there thinking, man, is that guy crazy? He believes in the devil? Yes, I believe in the devil. Um, and I think that the reason that we feel that way is that is a spiritual evil that is like that nothing could be more pleasing to the devil himself than for us to not believe he exists. That would be a very strategic move for him. Um, and so if we, if we don't believe in a real devil, if we don't understand that there is a real force out there, then it, it sort of can put us in a place where we're a little apathetic in our faith because we don't realize that there is, there's something going on that is, that is bigger than we are. And we tend to sometimes even make our faith journey more about ourselves than it is about the kingdom. And that's why Jesus often said that if you want to be my disciple, you've got to die to yourself. So that our faith journey is not, though it in, involves many individual components, it's about a whole lot more than our, our individual lives. It's how we're playing a part in this greater uh, and larger picture. And so when we get to Revelation chapter 12, what John is doing is he's mentioned this force uh, a little bit a couple of times up to this point. But when he gets to chapter 12, he's letting the church know, hey, this is what's going down. This is why you're struggling. This is why the seven churches are struggling. This is why sin keeps creeping in. And as we move forward toward the return of Christ, um, things are going to get a lot worse as this enemy is allowed by God to be unleashed and, and wreak a greater amount of havoc before the end time comes. You say, well, why would God do that? Well, one of the reasons God does this is because he is bringing judgment on the world. 
And so he will bring judgment on the world, and the devil himself will be used as part of that judgment. Um, evil is often used to bring about judgment uh, upon those who are unbelieving and have rejected Christ. And so we must remember that even as we talk about the devil, like, it's God's devil, <laughs> okay? He is a created being. Oftentimes, people, I can remember um, being in discussions, even early on when I was uh, younger in school, and some, some people would say, well, you know, some of the kids would say, oh, yeah, I, wanna, I don't want to be in heaven. I want to be in hell. It's going to be a party down there. <laughs> you got, that's bad theology, okay? That's not what is happening. It, was not, it is not the people who have rejected the Lord are all kind of collectively having their own experience that is apart from divine things. That's not what it is. And, and the devil himself does not rule hell, okay? The devil leads people into hell to join him because misery loves company. But the fact of the matter is, is all in hell will be suffering the full wrath of God apart from his grace, Nobody on the planet knows what that's like. Nobody's ever experienced that because God's grace is shining upon the planet right now for the believer and the unbeliever, for those who have accepted Christ and those who reject Christ. All live under um, the grace of God. Now, they don't all live under the salvific grace of God, but they all live under the grace of God that he's holding back his complete and full wrath so that men can come to know him. Women can come to know him in a personal relationship. So he withholds his judgment, which puts us, uh, puts us in a, uh, an age of grace where people can come into the kingdom of Christ. They can receive Jesus as their savior, be forgiven of their sins, and they can walk with him. And, and so spiritually, we are redeemed in that moment, and then we walk in grace in a covenant of grace with the Lord, but all walk in, in, in the grace of God. It says that the, it rains on the just and the unjust, and both receive a blessing from the Lord when a farmer who is wicked and doesn't believe in God, he's rejected Jesus, it rains on his corn and his corn grows, he has just been blessed of the Lord, even though he doesn't acknowledge it. The farmer that accepted him and believes in the Lord, he sees it as a blessing, but both of them are receiving the grace of God. Every time we breathe, we take a breath of air, it is the grace of God. Every time our heart beats, it is the grace of God. That's the way we approach theologically um, a worldview. And so like all of us live under the grace of God, but when judgment begins to happen, the final judgment on the world, then God will you will begin to see an outpouring of wrath upon all of the world, and people will suffer in more intense ways until ultimately Jesus returns and the final judgment takes place and eternity uh, begins. There is no more time. There is a uh, renewal of the earth. There is a recreation of things, and we'll see that as we progress. But it's, it's important for us to understand that during this age of grace, the reason we are in a cataclysmic clash is because we're trying to, the Lord is trying to awaken people from a, a state of death, and the only way to awaken them, and, and when I say death, I mean spiritually they are dead, and truth is the only thing that can awaken them. And the enemy is all about lies. And so he is trying to rob God of his glory, and he will influence Christians. He will influence people who are not Christians, and the whole objective is to pull glory away from the God of the universe. And so as we look at that and we begin to study in chapter 12, man, we're going to see a picture. John gives us a picture of, hey, this is what's going down. And so this was meant for the um, first century Christians who were dealing with an incredible amount of um, persecution and suffering, but it is also meant for every believer who's lived through the church age up to us to today. Uh, as we deal with some of the things that um, are difficult for us to deal with, and as, as oppression begins to set in, as a matter of fact, there are some people who are being oppressed severely for their faith. And it appears to me that we are sort of headed as a country in a, in a trajectory where 
if things don't change, for the believer, there will be more and more oppression. There will be more and more suffering. It will be, it will be more and more difficult for us to walk out our obedience to Christ. And that's why it is so essential that we know what we believe, that we're rooted, that we know how to uh, go to the word and allow the word to speak to us, that we know how to hear from the Lord. Because the fact of the matter is, if you don't know how to do that, and oppression starts, persecution starts setting in, and, and the culture really, like the culture is very tolerant right now of believers. They, they just are. Like, it's, it's okay. Most, most people would, would say that they are believers. But that is shifting. Things are changing. And if the culture shifts enough to where people then begin to go, man, you're an idiot for believing that, then it can come to a point where it is, it is literally trying to stamp it out. And if you're kind of sitting on the fence with Jesus... You're going to get off the fence, and, and you're either going to know what you believe, and you're willing literally to die for it, which means that you would look at it, and you would go, no, I won't, and this is what the first century Christians faced. They would go, no, I won't compromise here, and they had to deal with, well, if I die, who's going to take care of my kids? If I die, who's going to take care uh, of the people that I love? And they would not compromise, and many of them did die for what they believed in. And so like we, or you would go, man, like, I, I do believe in Jesus, and Jesus understands, he understands my heart, and he's not going to mind if I compromise here, because somebody's got to take care of my kids, and it would be unloving to take care of my kids. This is why Jesus said, no, man, you got to love me more than you do your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, everybody. I come first. And it means, it, it doesn't mean, he used language like this, you got to hate them. Now, he wasn't saying literally hate your, your, your family, but he was in fact saying that your commitment to me and, and the transformation that has taken place in your life is that you trust me above every other thing in the world around you. And so as we, as we walk through chapter 12, we're going to see that there is a violent attack upon the things of the Lord. There always has been, okay? And so, here we go. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. <clears throat> he was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you 
He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time's time, for a time, times, and a half time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and those who hold fast to the testimony about Jesus, okay? There's a lot of imagery in there, a lot going on. Red dragons, children, women giving birth, dragons wanting to eat children. Whoa, you know, there's a lot going on in there. What in the world is this all about? So let me work you through this. And, and so you got a good picture of kind of the, what, what, the, what is this talking about, okay? And so we got the eclectic view that sort of borrows from several different ones. It's kind of letting the Lord lead me on that. And then we got a futuristic view that kind of looks at it out there um, in the future. And so we start with the woman. Who in the world is the woman? Okay. Now, some of these, when we work through them, some of them will be, uh, they will be the same and some of them will be different. Okay. So the woman under the eclectic view or an amillennial view, um, it would be, these are Old Testament and New Testament people of God. All right? In the futuristic view, the, the people who look at most of everything after, uh, I don't remember what chapter it was, I think a chapter after the seven letters to the church is looking most of the book of Revelation as being future, they would view the woman as Israel. This is the nation of Israel, okay? And so um, when it says Old and New Testament, it's covenant. So there's always a remnant in the Old Testament. There's always a people of the Jewish people who uh, really had faith and they walked under the, uh, the covenant that was given to them during that time. And they would be equated for the eclectic view. They would be equated with the believer in the New Testament. And then we get to the dragon. Um, well, the dragon... Is, uh, it's the same in both, and he is obviously Satan. He's wise and powerful. That's what the horns um, and and the the horns. I got to kind of write this over. It's the same. I'll put a little asterisk by so if it's the same. Okay, and and so the horns are leaders. Anytime you see a horn, it represents a power, okay? So when it says he has so many horns, these are powers that he, he ha, uh, or leaders that he is influencing, okay? So it could be governmental leaders, kings, presidents, whatever you want. He is influencing people, and um, he's victorious. That's why he has crowns. He has the Stephanus crowns. He's, having, he's obtaining some victory. So same under both views, okay? Is that Satan is wise, he is powerful, he influences people. And so when we, just like we walk by faith and not by sight, and so the Lord influences me. So the Lord influences what I teach. The Lord influences me as I walk in obedience. I'm listening to the voice of the Lord, okay? And I'm trying to hear him and follow him. The enemy is a counterfeit of deception. And he is whispering lies into the ears of people. And they listen. And sometimes people, they don't even know they're listening. They don't even know that they're listening to an enemy of God and that it is evil as to what they're listening to. They're just supernaturally motivated, just like I'm supernaturally motivated to preach the gospel. A person could be supernaturally motivated to engage in evil. And now when that gets really corrupt and you pursue it and it gets really dark, that's how we end up with serial killers and people who are molesters of children is things get really, really dark and evil, okay? 
And so that, that's what's happening um, in this picture. And then we get to verse four. We got basically um, verse four. Let me read it. It says, um, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might, so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Okay, so this verse is teaching that he opposes, okay? He opposes everything. that is godly. He comes against it in very hostile ways, okay? And so we see that he's standing when the woman is about to give birth and he wants to devour the child. That is a picture of uh, Joseph and Mary and, and the Messiah coming. He tries to devour Jesus. All right, same futurist and and all millennial or, or eclectic views, same approach to that. And we remember, like, so he is not all-knowing. God is all-knowing. He knows everything, okay? And we can trust his sovereignty. The enemy is not all-knowing. He is trying to figure out um, how he can best take advantage of God's creation. And so how does this picture look of the horns, okay? The horns being people. Remember in the gospel when Jesus was born, King Herod, what, what did he do? He was feeling threatened by his throne and he issued a decree that all of the Jewish male children had to be killed of a certain age and below. Because that's when the, the wise men had said that, that Jesus was, they had predicted that he would be born and the king would come based on the old prophecies found in the Old Testament. And so the enemy works. He's wise and powerful. He works through people. And he's, what is he trying to do? He's trying to kill the Messiah before the Messiah does his work of which he doesn't know what the Messiah is going to do. And ultimately we get a picture of the enemy thinks he's won on the cross of Calvary because he does in fact kill Jesus, but he doesn't realize he doesn't kill Jesus. Jesus is laying down his life and he is going to rise from the dead. And so like, it's a picture of how we can see the enemy works behind um, people to influence and bring about disruption in, or uh, deception in the world. So as we look at the world and we go, man, things really seem strange. What is going on here? Like ultimately people are responsible, but we have to recognize that there is a force behind this. That's what John is trying to teach the, the church. Man, what's happening in the church and some of these influences that are creeping in, there is evil behind that. And you need to understand there's a real picture uh, of, e of evil in the world. And so he's trying to devour Jesus. Now, um, when we get to uh, number five or verse five, the child, it says, look at this. This is pretty cool. Because it says, and, and her child, it says that um, he stood in front of anyone to give, uh, he went to devour the child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That is a prophecy that was prophesied way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Christ. And it says, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, what's going on there? There are oftentimes when we study in the scriptures, like we'll study in the book of Zechariah, and we see in one verse, it's a prophecy of the first and second coming of Jesus in one verse. It may be like eight or 10 words, and we see both the first and second coming prophecy of Jesus in that one verse. In this one verse, we have the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension. That's what it means. He was snatched up to God. He was born and he was snatched up to God. So it's a picture of Jesus's earthly ministry from birth to resurrection. Okay. And so, uh, that's what chapter, um, chapter or verse five is about is Jesus's. And this is the same in both Jesus from birth to ascension. All right. You tracking with me, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I know it's slow. I know it's a little different, but hey, it's, it's, I got to keep, I got to keep it written down or I will get confused. Um, verse, uh, verse six, it says wilderness. Okay. Verse six, the wilderness and the, uh, 1260 days. 
This is um, divine. These are not the same. This is divine protection and provision during church age. All right, so this is during this opposition of evil, the people who have accepted Christ and follow him are promised this wilderness is a picture of God providing and protecting during a wilderness time. You remember when the uh, Israelites were led out of Egypt. And so, so much of the book of Revelation parallels what happens when Israel is out of, led out of bondage from Egypt. We've been talking about the parallels of the plagues, how they look a lot like the, the seven trumpets and the bold judgments um, that are coming. And so, um, when, when they finally were, they come through the Red Sea miracle, and they're, they're over on the other side of the Red Sea, there was some disobedience, and what did they do? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Those who um, uh, were preserved in that generation that didn't have to die uh, during that time got to go on into the promised land, but they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and what did God do? He divinely provided for them with the manna, with the quail, the things he fed them from the bread of heaven, okay? And that's why, so we, we see during the church age under this view, God will provide for us the spiritual manna that is necessary for us to endure anything that we face as we're walking through, no matter how difficult things get on this side of, of eternity. Okay, and so, in, and, and, and the 1,260 days would be a picture of a period of time, a short period of time. When we get to the futurist view, this is... Um, this is a Israel during the great tribulation things will start to get really bad and Israel as they come under attack attack they will be led out um, they will be led to a physical location where a remnant is protected So this is the nation of Israel, literally the, that we look at and see on the news, that as things progress and this begins to happen in the futuristic view, then um, they, they will have a season where they're really growing, and then they will come under attack, and when they come under attack by the enemy, then they will be led out into the wilderness. You go, well, this is kind of odd to think about. But here's what's really interesting to stop and think about. Think about throughout history, since the beginning of time, how many times the nation of Israel has become uh, the target of severe um, attack. Why is that? Why is it that this, this people with a, a, a piece of real estate that really has no resources, okay, There's no oil there. The oil is outside of that area. There's nothing there, yet they are violently attacked. Why are they the target of such violent attack throughout world history? Um, Even going back, I mean, and and we we think in our most recent time of, of, of Hitler and World War II and all that happened, and there was a complete attempt to eradicate the Jewish people. Why? Because God is working out a plan that involves the nation of Israel, and there is a real force that understands God is using that chosen people because he has a covenant with them, and he's trying to stop it. And so the futuristic view is that when all of hell is unleashed on Israel, God will protect them and lead them out into uh, the wilderness uh, physically, the uh, real actual people, not a spiritual interpretation. Okay, and then we get... um, Verses uh, seven and eight, there is a war in heaven. And this is the death, under this view, this is the death and resurrection of Christ. So when Jesus rose from the dead, that war took place. We know that the enemy, scripturally, in Job, he went and he made an accusation against Job to God. He said, well, he won't do anything wrong because you've provided all these blessings for him, and God permits him to, uh, to oppress him, right? Well, 
when this happens, the enemy is kicked out of his, his presence um, for the, before the Lord. So he is no longer allowed to accuse uh, the people of God before God. And he, he has a strong case. Under the, this view, then that ha- this, this ejection from heaven, from the, um, uh, from, from the devil and his access and, and, and that he had to the throne room of God took place at the resurrection. Under the futuristic view, this takes place later. And there is actually a war that breaks out in heaven. So this has not happened yet. The devil will have access to make that accusation up until the time uh, that that war takes place, okay? So um, <laughs> so now we, now we get to verse 9, all right? And what are we facing, all right? Well, he's described as a serpent. These are the same. This is what, you, which, this is what we deal with, Okay? And this, I think this is really important, maybe not the funnest uh, thing to work through, but it's cunning and wisdom. Oftentimes when we think of the devil, we think of satanic worshipers and really dark, weird people, and, and we describe the devil as a, he's being red and he's in a, he has a pitchfork and he's kind of like a fictional character. No, it's cunning and wisdom, okay? That's what the word serpent means. Um, the word diabolos that we get as, um, that we get the word devil from, is he's a slanderer and accuser. When you find yourself condemning yourself, and you're going, oh, I'm, I, I'm stupid. I mess everything up. You are listening to an evil voice. When you're getting all worked up about things, and if you're a child of God and you're being you're accusing yourself, you're listening of a voice that is not originating in heaven. That is not what the Lord says about you. The Lord says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so anytime we're hearing those kinds of words, they're not originating um, from heaven. And then we have um, he, uh, the word Satan. He's an adversary. All right? So this is constant. John is giving this picture to the church. When you find yourself having marital problems and conflict in your marriage, there is evil behind that. When you find yourself having conflict at work, there is evil behind that. And you've got to recognize, am I listening to the voice of God in this, in how I'm responding in this moment, or am I listening to the voice of the enemy? And so that's what John is trying to show us that we, uh, what we face here. So this can get overwhelming. We go, man, it's a very powerful force Jimmy's describing here in, in this uh, dragon. Okay, well, verse 10, we see um, the battle wages, but the war, and this goes both ways, has already been won. Let's look at that in verse um, 10. Let's read it. It says, uh, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And the woman was given two wings of the great... Am I reading verse 10? My numbers are so small, I can't see them. Where's verse 10 start? Here we go. Then I heard, is it, then I heard a loud voice? Thank you, brother. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So this teaches us. So when you hear all this, you say, man, the preacher talking about all this red dragon. He has been hurled down. Okay, so we have to know that as we engage, we do face battles, but the thing has already been won. So we engage in this spiritual battle, but the victory has already been won for us, okay? And then we get to uh, verse uh, 11. How is the victory won? The victory is won by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ, and our testimony of Jesus. 
If my sins are covered in the blood of Christ, I have a testimony about Jesus and what he has done in my life. Not that I can testify about Jesus, but I have my own personal testimony of the transformation that has happened in my life. I overcome any battle that I might face against the enemy because the Lord has provided for me. Okay? And then in verse 12, what happens is we have rejoicing and woe. Okay? And so this is a celebration over all that have experienced the blood of Christ and the testimony. And so it is a celebration of uh, those who tabernacle in heaven, okay? That's kind of the way it uses it. People tabernacle in heaven or they tabernacle on earth. So as I tabernacle in heaven, I will erupt in celebration knowing that because of the blood of Christ and the testimony of Jesus that I have, the battle may wage, but the war has already been won in my life. And so I may face oppression, I may face suffering, I may face persecution, but I'm engaging in that battle on a daily basis, but I can rejoice because I tabernacle in heaven. I'm able to hear the voice of the Lord. He speaks to me. I walk out in, in obedience what he does for me. But it also means woe for those who tabernacle on earth. If you are one who is supposed to be tabernacling on earth or on in heaven and you start acting like one who tabernacles on earth, you are going to be a spiritual schizophrenic and you're always going to be up and down in your faith. Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's not the way the Lord wants you to live. Many want you to live in this place of celebration. Even in the midst of persecution, you are able to celebrate because you know that the war has already been won. And so don't be tabernacling on the earth because you are a citizen of heaven. And that's what John is trying to get the church to see. And then we work back through um, the woman The woman here under this view, and so we kind of go to some different um, interpretations here. The woman here is the church um, and Old Testament saints. Over here, the woman is Israel. So it is actually the nation of Israel. And I just spell all these out because, listen, man, you can get dogmatic about these things and go, man, I'm over here, I'm over here. It doesn't really make a difference. What you need to understand is the theology behind them. You need to understand there is a way for us to live as believers, and God is working out a plan for the future. And so the wings and the time um, that in verse 14 that are talking about is, again, the remnant of Israel over here. They're carried away to that physical location and protected. And over here, um, it is, again, spiritual um, spir- spiritual protection during the church age. And then we got this river, man. This river comes out, and it tries to um, take over Over here, it would be Israel. And so in a futuristic view, in the last half of the seven years of the tribulation, there will be an unleashing of hell to try to destroy Israel, okay? The nation of Israel. Over here, a spiritual interpretation of that would be there is a river that is unleashed and tries to destroy the people of God. I don't, the way I interpret this, I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. And I think the river, maybe physically, there is a physical attack on the nation of Israel and the people of God in the future. But right now there is a spiritual attack and attack, and it is a river of deception. Okay, it is a river of deception that is unleashed by the enemy that is trying to destroy the people of God. And in the church age, I believe it is heresy that is being taught from the pulpits across the world today. Things that do not line up with the word of God. They are more culturally relevant and acceptable. They are palatable for the people that come and listen. It's tickling the ears of the people who listen. It's not working them through the truth. It's not teaching them, hey, you're dealing with a real hell. You're dealing with a real wrath of God. Just as much as we want to celebrate the grace of God, one of the reasons that we can celebrate the grace of God is because we understand there's a wrath of God that is coming or that the grace of God is not even necessary. 
And so like we have to understand this. And so as that river is unleashed and it floods the, the people of God, remember we go back to the seven letters and what is happening? Deception in the church. And, and, and John is saying, look, man, there's an evil force behind this and you've got to deal with this stuff and make sure that you're keeping uh, the church in all of its purity. And so in verse 16, um, to come against this river, what we have is... I I believe here it is the preaching of truth of the word. Let's just say that. The word, not, not, not something I come up with, but the word of God. Over here in the futuristic uh, view, it's the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are sealed. And they're preaching while this attack is happening on Israel and people are coming into the kingdom during uh, the tribulation uh, period. And then we look at, again, we get to the, uh, verse uh, 17, and basically the war is against the church over here. And over here, it is a war against Israel. All right. So that's great. What does that mean for me? There are a few things to take away from this. They're really, really important, okay? And the first one is this. Victory rarely comes without a fight. Okay, so as you're engaging in things in your life, this is not all like smooth sailing. As a matter of fact, if your life, if you look at your life and it's just smooth sailing, there's a good chance that, that you are asleep spiritually and the enemy's not that worried about you. You're, if your life feels like it's just kind of bumpy all the time and, and you're like, man, I feel like I can't get, things just seem like they won't work out. There's a reason behind that. You are engaged in a battle and there's no success without sacrifice. When it comes to the things of the kingdom, even though the war has already been war, won, we are engaged in the battle and it's not going to be celebrated until the king comes and claims what is rightfully his and he returns uh, to, to take over the earth. And so anything worth achieving is worth fighting for. So I want to encourage you in that today. I want you to know, man, if you feel like sometimes that being a Christian, you, you're having to strive, that's normal. That is a normal feeling. Okay, it is normal for you to feel like you're having to work at it a little bit. It's not, you don't have to work to obtain salvation, but once you have salvation, the scripture says you need to work it out into your life because there's an evil that's always gonna keep you, uh, wanna keep you from trying to do that. And so we have already, the, spiritually, the war has been won in us, but we battle daily the enemy. And so we have to go through uh, temptation. We have to go through struggles. We have to go through um, dealing with some people who have totally reject everything that we uh, believe is true. We have to go through struggles in our marriage. We, as a matter of fact, and, and it, what is beautiful, <laughs> what is beautiful, is that when the Lord, when the enemy attacks your marriage, whatever the enemy attacks, like, uh, uh, and uh, listen, I'm speaking, speaking, I'm not speaking to anyone right now. I'm speaking from personal experience. The enemy, when the enemy attacks your marriage, it can feel troubling. But when you navigate and you push back in, and you and your spouse, you work through it, man, and the Lord brings you through it. And you already know that the battle or the war is won, so you have victory. You just have to navigate through the battle. When you get on the other side, something beautiful happens. One, the intimacy between you and your spouse is incredible. And two, the testimony of Jesus that you have because of the blood of Christ navigating you through that storm is rich and sweet. And you get to share with other people and help them in their journey as a citizen of the kingdom. And so we have to understand in, man. I, like, I, I, victory is not going to happen in my life without some fighting. And so you need to stand up and fight. Here's the second thing. God designed us to win in community. He didn't design us to win in isolation. That's why the last two years have been so atrocious for the kingdom of God. 
It's because people have been isolated, man. They, they've been pulled out and, and the enemy has got us alone and, and we haven't been able to do life together like we're designed to do. And we have to come out of that, man. We have to realize that we have to be together. We're designed to be together. The church is a body and it's not supposed to be cut in half. It's to be unified. And the more we come together and spend time together, the more strength we get from each other. And so you have to figure out ways. How can I be in community with the people around me? And so like, you, you don't need, like all you need to do in, to be in community with somebody in the body is invite somebody over to lunch. Amen. That's all you got to do. I'm going out to lunch with the Castleman's, right? I'm going to be in community with them today. And when you go and you have someone over to your house, you're in community and you will find strength in that. And you should watch, watch this, if you want to see how cunning and deceptive the enemy is, start looking at your calendar and see who you spend all your time with. And what you will notice is that you spend most of your time, if you're not really intentional, you will spend most of your time with the same people over and over. I would say this, it's not even healthy for us in to be in community with the same people that are people of God all the time. We need to mix it up a little. We say, why do you need to mix it up? Because if we're not careful, what will happen is we will build up one part of the body so strong that the rest of the body is weak and it can't support that part of the body. And so we need to be moving around and we need to be intentional with our relationships. And, and what can happen is we, we can start spending all our time with our family, our extended family. You know, one of the things that was crazy for me when I moved up here is that um, obviously we didn't know anybody except the people in the church. And when I moved up here, um, I, I had all this extra time because I didn't realize how much my life w uh, involved my extended family. Now, this is not a, like, I'm not saying that don't spend time with your family. Don't hear that in me. What I am saying is we can get so comfortable and so cozy in a routine that we begin to do things over and over and over again that don't really make us stronger in the Lord. And so we have to be intentional to go, hey man, I need to put some things on my calendar that are ensuring that I have some community with some other believers because isolation is dangerous because it increases our vulnerability and we need each other. And here's the third thing, victories are meant to be celebrated. Okay, that's another reason for community as it gives you an opportunity to celebrate the victories that are in your life and hear the celebration of someone else's victories. And so you got to share those. Why would those be important? Because you overcome the enemy by the testimony of Jesus that is in you. And if you're not sharing that testimony with anybody, you just keep yourself in sort of an anemic state. You're never exercising really the most beautiful part about you. It's the victories that you're winning. And so like we, we, we don't, sometimes somebody will come through a victory and they feel shame in it. And they're like, man, I can't tell you what the Lord has brought me through. It's embarrassing. No, it is not embarrassing. It is incredible when the Lord brings you through something dark and man, it, it encourages the believers. And when you share your testimony and say, man, this is what was going on in my life and, and, and where I was at. And the Lord brought me through that. There is such power and there's such healing in that for the body and for you yourself. And so uh, victories are meant to be celebrated. And that brings us to the big idea today, okay? The war is won, but the battle wages. Okay, so as you go out this week, you got to see yourself as a quencher, all right? And so when, when we walk in sin, we quench the Holy Spirit. So you do not quench the Holy Spirit. Be ye filled with the Spirit. Like, do not be drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so we are, we are indwelt with the Spirit upon confession of faith, but the filling of the Spirit is something that just happens over and over. And how does that happen? It happens when I walk in obedience to the Lord, and so I, I don't quench the Spirit. You know what you're supposed to quench? The river of deception. The enemy unleashed a river to consume the woman. But the earth helped the woman 
and swallowed up the river. And so as I walk in obedience, and I walk and I share my testimony, and you walk in obedience, and you share your testimony, you quench the river of deception. And so don't quench the spirit. Quench the river of deception by walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And John is saying to us, man, um, that as we, as we walk these things out, that we should expect this to be normal in our lives. Um, and sometimes we kind of complain. And I'm going to close with reading this because I think it's appropriate. And then I'll pray. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your Word. We pray that you would illuminate our minds and help us to walk out the obedience that you've called us to. You'd help us to recognize all the things in this world that we're living in that are distractions, that are really the cunningness of the evil one to distract us from really what is best for us to pursue in our lives. I pray as a body of believers, Lord, that we, we, would, be, um, we would be earth dwellers that tabernacle in heaven and swallow, Lord. We quench the river of deception, because there's so much truth in our lives that it helps other people find you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We pray this morning as we um, depart from this place that we would walk it out in obedience. And we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.